Hello, and welcome to Alive I Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. I'm feeling this! My name is Chris Lavender, and with me is my fellow host, Keith McLeod, and my special guest, Kia Jimson. I'm feeling this! Today on Alive I Just Blethering, we will be taking us through Untitled by Blink-182. I'm feeling this! this hi guys how we doing hey man (laughs) that's not what i expected this to start like (laughs) that's how these things go (laughs) very much so so yeah let's 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 acknowledge this right out the 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 door last week's episode we said we were going to cover rage against the machine with a special guest we have a special guest but we're not covering rage against the machine are we love we're not uh so you know subject subjects change Probably a bit of a curveball, I think. Those who are expecting Ridge Against the Machine, I'm apologising for nothing. <laughs> Absolutely no apologies. Uh, yeah, so we reached out to my good friend Kia. Kia is the drummer in Campbell's Wild, was the drummer for A Day Overdue, and was also the live stage drummer for the Green Day live show. So thought Kia would have some wonderful insight for us, and Kia has chosen... A very special album for him. Yeah, I want to pull these up already. So at the start, you said albums that you guys love. And I know that I love this album far more than either of you two do. So I reckon this is going to be an hour and so of me talking about how much I love this album. And you guys being like, yeah, well, take off your pants and jacket was better. I think uh, I think you might be pleasantly surprised by that. Surprised. I hope so. Surprised. I think you might be pleasantly surprised by that, Q. I hope so. Because I, I love this album. Weirdly, I reckon this is, and I know this is a bold statement, I'm starting strong, this is one of the best albums, I reckon, of, like, my timeline. Like, it's so high up in my love, but I don't rate it as the best Blink-182 album. I think it's a poor Blink-182 album, but it's an amazing album. That's interesting. Does that make sense? No. Can you expand on that? So, like, when I think of Blink-182, you think of... Enema of the State, you think of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, yep. you think of Dude Ranch, you think of like punk rock with joke songs and like nothing but like boom, 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 like over and over again, that's going to be terrible on the edit, but you know what I mean, like just that fast blast beat, pop punk yeah. beat on every song, shouting everything's fast, and then this song is a masterpiece, this album sorry is a masterpiece in my opinion, bold statement I know, but it's not a great Blink album, it's just a great album I think you're going, you're going so strong on this to begin with. Like, it's a masterpiece. Bold statement, but it is a masterpiece. Yeah, obviously everything's subjective. Like, what Lav Loves Race Car by Race Car, Race Car is Race Car Backwards, whatever that album's called. That didn't even tickle me a little bit. Whereas this album ignites <laughs> a fire inside of me, and I know Lav would be a bit like, meh. I've, I've got a position on this album, which I've, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, as an 18-year-old, I would have been, yeah, I was 17 when this album came out. As a 17-year-old, this album was an immediate disappointment for me because the bar had been set so high by Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and Enema of the State. So when this was getting pushed and the first lead single that got released from it, Keith, what was it called? I'm feeling this! So when that came out, I was like, nope. This is not for me. It was an, an instant... I, I thought I would instantly love the new Blink track when it came out. And it just was an immediate 
turnoff for me. So I never gave the album the its full chance as a seventeen year old. Well, I was thirteen. Sorry to ages, but I was thirteen when this album was released. You are still a thirty something, right? You qualified to be on this podcast. I am a thirty something, but great. You're just not as much of a thirty something as Lana. Yeah, very early thirty something. Great. And this album, hands down, changed my life. I know that's another bold statement. I'm going all in on this. So I was familiar with Blink. My brother was quite into his pop punk and I heard Enema from up the stairs in the attic. Didn't ignite my fire. Again, I knew of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Like, Stay Together with the Kids was always on Kerrang! and things like that. Honestly, I thought you were about to say I'd heard of Take That because of was a <laughs> Light My Fire reference. <laughs> No, I'm not that smart. I didn't get that. But then this album came out just as I was hitting music. So you know when you, there's an age where you hear something and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that did something. So this this album did that. And I wasn't overly cool as a teenage, surprising I know. So I spent a lot of my teenage years from like 16 to 19, probably 18 when I started being able to go out, spending every weeknight in my attic playing the drums to this song like this album which is a bold feat like to start with I wasn't touching the edges but three years later I could play this song beat for beat on the drums and I hold that down as to why I was able to then go on and play drums like I've not done a lot of drumming but I've done way more than I would have done had I just listened to Enema the State or Green Day not to hate on Green Day but if you're a massive Green Day fan and all you can play is Trey Cool Beats you're not that versatile, but this album taught me samba, it taught me hip-hop, it taught me like weird funk beats that I never would have been able to play before. So then when I went on to play in bands, I wasn't just doing the fast pop punk beat. When I went on to do like the Green Day show, for example, that was a like it was a breeze because I wasn't having to think at 44 miles per hour to do anything close to it. It meant when I went into like event drumming, when they were like, oh, this song, it's in 4-4 at this tempo, I was like, all right, like it, it was a breeze, and I I owe pretty much everything I ever did in drumming to not having any pals and playing this over and over and over again. Sorry, just at the end there, you were like, I owe this this album to, or owe my drumming to not having any friends in, in this album. No, that's that that's that's cute. Um, I I will now say this album is an absolute triumph. Like I love this album to bits. Kier, you're shocked. You're genuinely yes, surprised Keir. by that. I don't it's... think we've agreed on anything musical ever, so this has really cheered me up. <laughs> it's entirely possible. The thing is with this album, though, I didn't. I don't think I picked it up. You know th- what? This album came out in two thousand three. I don't think I picked this album up in two thousand three. Maybe it, I really got into it like a year, two years later. Maybe two thousand four, two thousand five, because mm-hmm. it just reminds me of a very specific time in my life. But I can credit liking this album so much, or I think I can credit liking this album so much, because I wasn't a massive Blink fan. I didn't really care about Take Off Your Pants and Jacket or Enema of the State. I enjoyed... Wow. I enjoyed some of those songs. Like, I enjoyed the, the, the singles they released and you know, First Date and uh, Rock Show and, you know, What's My Age Again and stuff like that were all fun and enjoyable, but I think I listened to Take Off Your Pants and Jacket the whole way through for the first time ever yesterday. No way. No way. Seriously. I know we're not I... here to discuss that album, but the album tracks on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket outweigh any of those singles. Like Roller Coaster, Story of a Lonely Guy. Reckless they Abandon. Are 
anthem part oh, two. Reckless abandoned. The whole album. Right. So this is where this is where my problem with this album we're discussing today, the untitled album, is is that the bar was set exceptionally high with Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. And it's very rare, in my opinion, that you get a band that just makes an exceptionally great album like Enema and then manages to talk. Like, Enema was untoppable. And then then Toy Patch came and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket comes out and it just took them to a whole new level. And it was that that was the album. I would have been 16, you know, 15 when Take Off Your Pants and Jacket came up. So it was just mind-blowing. So I've got a couple of things on that. So I was obviously too young when Enema and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket came on. Too young to notice it. Like, they were albums that I discovered maybe during the summer before this came out was when I started to be like, I want to wear baggy jeans. I want to, like, wear hoodies all the time and became a, a sweaty, as they were called in Scotland. Get, those, like, get, that, get that sweet chain hanging from that pocket. Yeah, I had a bike. Like, I remember my mum taking me up Colburn Street for the first time into ground control to buy my first ever sweaty clothes. Like, that moment. So I, I guess I came into that just before. So I don't have the sort of formative memories of Take Off Your Pants and Jackets being the soundtrack to any major events in my life. But I remember, like, all of this from this album, like, soundtracking a massive heartbreak that I couldn't even tell you who it was about now. Like, by the time that was, like, screaming that song in my bedroom to myself was huge, so I've missed all that. I can't remember the other point I was going to make, but it was a good one. Well, for me, like, this... So, 2000... I left... I graduated. You don't graduate in Scotland. You just leave high school in <laughs> in, in fourth year. Uh, sorry, sixth year. So, that was me in 2004. I left high school, and we've talked about it on the pod before, where that's where I sort of picked up... My, my musical interests went massive, and, and I sort of started playing in bands and, and like, explored that sort of stuff but I also didn't go straight into college or uni I just went into I just started working after high school and I went into retail and the reason I can remember this so clearly is because this is one of the few albums like we played in the shop I worked in that was you know friendly enough to play it was either this or Muse and Muse Absolution so I just worked in a shop in a retail store and listened to this album for days on end and I think that, that that's that's where I'm able to say I give it a really good listen and I loved it and I didn't compare it to any previous Blink albums because not that I have anything against Blink I just hadn't I listened to heavier stuff beforehand but being in that situation where this just played in a shop over and over again from start to finish fucking loved it it's it's even coming back to it like it's so so good <laughs> it's ridiculous how good it is it's a great album i remember the point that i was going to make before you said that feeling less was a letdown for you and i remember when we were texting about doing this podcast the other day i was like i'm not getting into this argument because i'm going to have it with you on the podcast i think feeling this was the perfect single for them to lead this with it is blink enough that people weren't like oh my god what is this it didn't sound like boxcar racer which i'm sure we'll get to like set the tone for blink we're changing so but it was blink but it was different and i think that it was a great idea for that to be the lead single when it first was released so the, i think the first time i heard this was it was on the soundtrack for madden 02 or madden 03 so it was like the first because it was the first track they recorded for the album and it came out and it was called action on the soundtrack 
and the Captain America clip at the start was like far louder. And I remember hearing it and being like, this is weird, there's a cowbell. And that's, I think that's the best intro. Like you get the, the phaser drums to start with, the big like triplets on the bass drum, the John Bonham triplets, like there's another thing. That drum beat at the start where he does the boom. I don't know if you can hear me tapping on the laptop. Like he does triplets <laughs> on the bass drum. That was apparently inspired by John Bonham, which is not something you would normally hear in a pop punk song. It's interesting you've used the phrase pop punk. I struggle to find many pop punk songs in this album. Ah, come on. I agree. Oh, what? I'm with him. So I, I was saying this to, I've been talking about this album for days now. Um, you got me proper excited about this. So I think you could, not as easy as you can on Neighbourhoods, the album that they did when they came back from the breakup, but on this song you can really start to hear the fracture in the band and the split of the styles. I would argue there's only maybe two, three, borderline four a push. I'm starting to panic that people are going to correct me now. That No one listens, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think there's only three or four Blink-182 songs on this album. I think the other ones you could separate into Plus 44, Boxcar Racer, and a couple that you can start to hear Angels and Airways. Like, there's a few songs that wouldn't be out of place on We Don't Need to Whisper, or on Boxcar Racer, or on When Your Heart Stops Beating. But there is a few that wouldn't fit on any of them, and I think they're the Blink songs. Yeah, I get that. I do struggle with that, because I think, like I said, previously to this, wasn't that in-depth with Blink-22, and after this, didn't stay that particularly in-depth with Blink-22, until the first album with Matt Skiba came out. And what was that, California? California. I give California a pretty good listen, more, more... I didn't listen to it as much as I had this album, but more than any other Blink album, I give California a pretty good listen. And I could, pr- in from what I can tell, I can hear how California came from this album. Wow. See, California, to me, is a lot more fun than Neighbourhoods. So Neighbourhoods is yeah. very serious. It's a very serious album that they came back to do. It was after after Travis was in a, in a plane accident and they, they regrouped. They re yeah. they wrote a new album. They then wrote the EP Dogs Eating Dogs, was it? Yeah. And that was the last recording with Tom, wasn't it? That, it that was. EP. And if I can just crowbar myself in there, sorry. Neighbourhoods was, you say it was the first album they wrote. They were not in the same room at any point during the process for Neighbourhoods. Blink-182 didn't write Neighbourhoods. So Tom wow. refused to record anywhere other than in what he calls Never Pants Ranch, which is a play on Neverland, and it's his. it was his home. So he would record his guitar parts and his vocal parts and would email them over to Travis and Mark in Los Angeles, who would then record their own bits and send it back. And that's why there's a very disconnection in the album. And again, you can hear songs that are Mark and Travis-led, and you can hear songs that are basically just Angels and Airways with a not a better drummer, but a different drummer. Like, Adam Willard's a great drummer at the time when all that was happening. But he's very different from Travis Barker. As a, as an Angels and just as we've mentioned Angels and Airwaves a couple of times as one of Tom's side projects, I find Angels and Airwaves absolutely boring and dull. It just bores ah. me to tears. It's just got no life in it. They've got some highs and lows. Highs and lows, mate. Highs and lows for them. But then Dogs Eating Dogs was they went on a European tour to support the tour that we went to see them in Manchester actually. Yeah. 
they went on that tour and on that tour Tom I think fell in love with Blink again a little bit because I, I don't think he wanted to be back in Blink I think he felt bad that Travis died and they hadn't spoken so they split in 2004 Travis almost died in 2008 and Tom apparently sent him a photo like he saw the news report at an airport and when he got home he sent two Polaroids and a letter to Travis one Polaroid was them on some American Navy ship when they went to play for the troops like as 30 odds playing mm. punk rock and the next photo was him holding his kids and apparently he'd written on the back like this was us then this is who I am now and that opened the chain of conversation but I don't think Tom ever wanted to be back in Blink I think Tom felt guilty that he wasn't there and that there was that disconnection then he fell in love with Blink again on that tour and they went into the studio together for Dogs Eating Dogs, which after the breakup, there was obviously a lot, the, the second breakup, there was a lot of posts on Facebook saying that that wasn't quite what they, it's, it was portrayed to be. But I think listening to the songs, it's the most blink thing, I would argue, that's been released since Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's very raw. But we were talking about, and I mean, I made a point about the untitled album not being pop punk and Keith seemed to have a an issue with that. I mean, I suppose it's maybe it just comes down to Blink when to being the pop punk sound for me. I know and and we can definitely discuss the, the production on this album, which is amazing, and it came from Jerry Finn, who did a lot of uh, or I think did the last four Blink Twenty Two albums. Uh, as well as every other pop punk sound, you know, AFI, Some Forty One, Alkaline Trio, Green Day, you know, this guy perfected the, the pop punk sound by all accounts until he sadly passed away in two thousand and eight. I was really sad when that happened. I mean, to be fair, I wasn't particularly aware of the the guy until reading on this. So when you hear the impact he had on, on the music, like it's it is really sad. But I couldn't pretend to have noticed at the time, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 kind of what I mean, like. To me, Blake 22 are pop punk. So Tom DeLong's voice is, is is unmistakable. You know, and whatever he's on, even before this, I gave it I, I gave Boxcar a bit of a listen and it just sounded like Blake 22. You know, I gave Angels and Airwaves a listen. He's he's a li- little bit lower in his range, he's a little bit older, he's a little bit lower in the range on Angels and Airwaves, at least that first album, but it's still pop punkish to me so that's kind of where I'm coming from the fact that this is still the three members of Blink-182 still sounding like Blink-182 albeit progressed mature however you want to describe it that is pop punk to me yeah I guess you could argue that this is post pop punk if we were being those guys like it is I know I, I hate it too but sometimes it works like the album is from the the pop punk band like when pop punk is discovered by archaeologists in hundreds of years blink and arguably green day but i'm less a fan of them are going to be the titans of of pop punk like they brought it to the forefront they might not be the most legitimately punk band but they brought poor punk pop punk even to the masses out of the suburbs to the masses and purely for that basis i would argue that this is a pop punk album but i think it grew from that further away they can just speak to tom DeLonge because he's going to be a jar in a head anyway when the aliens take him yeah that's true he's he's going to be involved <laughs> in the takeover i reckon but when you mentioned tom DeLonge's voice there like yeah it's it's still a pop punk voice but 
it's very different from the other albums. Like, he is sure. much less nasally. Like, if you went from Enema of the State straight over to Stockholm Syndrome, where he's screaming, or uh, I don't know if Stockholm Syndrome's the right song for it, but he shouts a lot on this album. Like, it's a lot more punk than it is pop. He's there much more pop aggressive. songs on it. He's much yeah. more aggressive in this album, and and that must have come from the the boxcar racer stuff because boxcar racer was like the darkest punk pop punk I could think of in two thousand and two. And that plays like the I don't know how like knowledgeable everybody's going to be on the history of Blink, so shout me if I'm boring you because this was my life for a little while. So there was a lot of tension going into this album based off of boxcar racer. So after take off your pants and jacket. Tom had uh, quite a bad drug addiction after throwing his back out. He was on all these painkillers and he was in a bad place. He wasn't happy with Blink. He wasn't satisfied that his musical career was literally joke songs, four chords, fast shouting. He wanted more. He wanted to be an artist rather than just a, like, no shade to Tim Armstrong, but like a Tim Armstrong who's literally made a 40-odd year career from the same three chords played at different tempos in different orders. Tom wanted more than that. And he did Boxcar Racer to get that out of him, to get the darker side that the label wouldn't put to the Blink-182 name. And then he asked if Travis would drum on it, which obviously you would if you were best friends with one of the best drummers of maybe all time, definitely of our sort of age range. Why would you not? And that left Mark out, and Mark did not take that well. So they had sort of reconvened, but they weren't very friendly going into this album. And they also smoked a colossal amount of weed recording it, apparently. And that played into, like, massive amount of paranoia, where Mark and Tom both thought the other one was out to get the other one. Interesting you use the word paranoia, which is basically the whole, the whole, the whole meaning of Stockholm Syndrome and, and stuff is, you know, getting locked in with... People you don't want to be with. yeah. But there's a lot, like on Violence, on Obvious, on uh, Easy Target especially, it's all about being attacked. It's all about being under attack from different ways. And I think that plays into how much of an impact the Boxcar Racer album had on the Blink-182 side. Now, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it, Kier, because that's kind of what I wanted to go into next, is we'd mentioned Boxcar Racer a few times, albeit Angel, Angels and Airwaves, and, 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 and I think Travis went into transplants as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was, I, I think, wasn't something I was particularly aware of coming into this myself, was how much the band were personally affected in making this album, and how much Boxcar Racer had had that that effect on them. And you're, you're totally right, from everything I've read, you hit the nail out on the head with sort of Mark felt a bit betrayed that the other two had gone on and done Boxcar Racer. I sort of remember Boxcar Racer. Did Tom not have a band as well at some point? No, so Tom was Boxcar Racer. Sorry, Mark. Did Mark not get his own band? Only after they broke up in 2006, he had Plus 44. Yeah, and then now he's got his own side project. Um, He's got a couple, actually, that he does from Blink now. But he didn't have anything. He, I think he produced Commit This to Memory for Motion City Soundtrack. I don't know the timeline. That might have been after this album. But that was his only other venture. Whereas, yeah. obviously, Travis usually skipped out to go on tour with Transplants. They'd been going for a couple of years. Tom did Boxcar, and Mark was just at home. Like, all right. Yeah. 
I suppose it should also be mentioned that um, Mark just got cleared of cancer, so good for Mark. He yes. did, and I'm so buzzing about it. Like, I'm very happy. I, I thought this was going to be the first of. Obviously, there was there's been Chester and stuff like that, but the first like naturalish death of yeah. one of my heroes being like, holy shit! Like, I'm now old enough that my heroes are dying of normal things. Yeah. Well, you say that, but we've also lost, we've already lost, at least I have lost, not personally, because I never knew the person, mm-hmm. but MCA from Beastie Boys had throat cancer yes. and died. So, unfortunately, we're already losing a few few people to that bullshit thing. Yeah. So, it was nice to hear that he's been cleared and he's going to get checked up on and hopefully he's uh, on the road to recovery. Yeah, um, he's getting his hair back and it is white. So, I've heard... So but I hope he doesn't listen to this. I'm sure he won't, but you never know. He's a bit of an internet sleuth. His hair was going. For the last few times I've seen them, his hair has been like further back than where mine's would be. For the listeners, like I am bald. And he was <laughs> still rocking that fringe. Yeah. And I think this would have been a great excuse to be like, you know what? I'ma just wear a cap. <laughs> I'm gonna be a bald guy now. There's a, there's a yeah. choice that needs to be made. Like Travis, Travis went bald years ago. Rocks a cap. On that, on that, I am, I am definitely on the road to joining your club, here because uh, I've, I'm going on my honeymoon soon, and I've just bought a cap to go on my honeymoon because my hair is way too thin, and I will burn my scalp. You know you've reached it when in the pocket of my car door there is sun like suntan lotion, sunscreen, whatever you want to call it, and scalp spray. And whenever I'm on holiday, <laughs> in my pocket is scalp spray. Like when you know you can't leave the house without scalp spray, it's time to shave your head. I didn't even know scalp spray was a thing, so now I do. It's now incredible. you'll need it. Now you need it's it. It's non-greasy. You spray it on, don't have to rub it in. Right. Go about your day. I'm going to look into this. Fucking geriatrics are us over here, man. Jesus Christ. Well, you're saying geriatrics. I wasn't old enough to know who the Beastie Boys were until way too late in the game so you're saying your heroes died but you've got about seven years on me for yeah but i don't need to worry about sunscreen for my forehead so and also fuck you lad for being <laughs> the oldest one here and the hairiest it's disgusting eh? wonderful genes wonderful genes nah but to go back to maybe to what we were saying about how boxcar racer had had influenced the band and and or, and you know, they wanted to take Blink-22 in sort of, not so much a different direction, but they just wanted to write an album and not be boxed in, for lack of a better word, by, by Blink-22. It's, I, I don't know if that appealed to me more in listening to this album, because, like I say, the other album, the other songs were fun, and I was like, I, I, they, they, were, they were enjoyable, and, and they had their moments, and they had their hooks, but I never really got into any of those albums. It was this album that kind of maybe for lack of a better word or phrase, had that mature sound that I was like, no, this is this is cool. There's fun bits to it, but there's a lot of really more great bits to it. Probably this is, the, at the time at least, this was the, their most mature work. And I just noticed it today, literally today, 2021, that this doesn't have a single dick fart or shit song in it. So I have two points to argue. Now. Well, not argue, take agree. I don't know why I'm so prepared to come on and fight you guys for an hour and a half. No, we're totally into this album, man. <laughs> I know, but I'm so ready for it. Every time you say something, I'm like, ah, I need to fight the point that I agree with. I cannot I cannot stress enough how much I love this album. It is, it is it's a brilliant... I'm so glad. Like, 
You have no idea. It's, I genuinely love, deeply, deeply love this album. I think it, I think it's fantastic. Like it's genuinely fantastic. I had no nostalgia for this album. I've explained my position on it. This last week, listening to it, has absolutely opened my eyes to how great it is. It's a spot on nine out of ten for me. I will listen to this so regularly. So I have several points now that I want to talk about. Go for it. Number one. Keith, you're saying you weren't a massive Blink-182 fan, but this album not won you over, but introduced you to the band as a different type of band? It, it stands differently because it's not that... This album didn't make me a Blink-182 fan either. I no. just loved this album. and it's, it's kind of what you were saying at the beginning. It's a great album, but it's not a good Blink album. Exactly. This, this album didn't get me into Blink-182, but by God, do I love this album. And one of the things that they did going into this album, I don't know whether it was like a peacekeeping conversation or what the context was, but Travis had like sort of laid down the law that we are not going in to record another Blink album. This is our first album. We're treating it as a new band so that we are not swayed by the idea of like, oh, but is that a Blink-182 song? Like, that's a cool riff. Would it fit on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket? They went in on the basis of we don't care what you're expecting. We don't care what you did before or what we did before. This is the band we are now and this is the music that we are writing. And I Mm. think that is how they won over a massive amount of people. Well, this is this was my thoughts on why it's it's not the self-titled album, as I've been corrected before. It is an untitled album. But when you call an album the same name as your band, it's a statement of intent. It is it is it is someone saying this is us. This is what we want to be. Especially for a fifth album, like bold. that is bold to be like. And considering they went from Dude Ranch, a joke title about camp enema of the state self-explanatory take Mm. off your pants and jacket self-explanatory boom untitled i only understood that i only got that fucking joke like in july i thought you were gonna say like five (laughs) minutes ago genuinely no i mean it might i mean I'm, i'm saying i got it three months ago it might as well have been five minutes ago i did not did not understand take off your pants and jack it yeah. Until I heard it on another podcast. There was Jeez. lots of discussion about a joke title for this this album. Like, I can't remember. There was it was Diarrhea de Janeiro and things like that, like stupid titles. And then I think they might have listened to the tone of the album and gone. It wouldn't fit. I don't I don't know what happened, but there was a discussion about putting a joke title on again. And then I think they maybe went, nah, this is not Blink one eight two lowercase b hyphen this is bling 182 yeah. to, to what lab's saying about you know when you make it a self-titled album you make it a statement and coming back to everything we've said about a change in direction wanting it to be a bit more of a mature sound like you're saying here how it's this is who the band is from this point forward you know it's almost like a soft reboot of mm-hmm. the band themselves and in that respect they didn't, they, it maybe didn't need a title. You could self-title it and say this is Blink-22 by Blink-22, but you could. I, th- I think it's more of a sort of punch to say this is this is just Blink-22. Yeah. If that makes sense. Definitely I makes think, sense for me. Yeah, me too. I also wanted to draw back to Lav, you saying that this wasn't an album that had a huge effect on you or wasn't one you were nostalgic about. But I remember like quite early on when we met, I assumed you were a Blink-22 super fan. 
because you had a floppy fringe and a side lip piercing. And I was like, boom, me and this guy are going to be pals because I know everything there is about Blink, so we could be friends on that. And you weren't as keen into Blink as I thought you were going to be. That, I will say, though, <laughs> there's a picture of Tom DeLonge in Take Off Your Pants and Jacket on the, in the inside cover. And he's got his fringe, it's got a high angle, and he's got a lip piercing. And I was like, that's the look I'm going to take. I there's, took that. There's, there's my example for the next five years. I'll have that. I took that album cover, like the insert from the actual album, to my hairdresser for years. Like <laughs> this. Do that. <laughs> give, give, give me one of those. On, it, yeah, on, then, as soon as I saw that picture, I was like, that's what I want to look like. That's what I want to model myself on. It wasn't until got- I saw um Matt from Funeral for a Friend that I was just like, oh, there's another fringe. I'll have that one now. He's changing your fringes. So there's there's two things. So the way where I was going with that is that we had a conversation about this album quite early on in our friendship. And you argued to me that Stockholm Syndrome is the best Blink 182 song. And I was like, nah, you're wrong. Like there's no way. And wrong. I now one hundred percent will die on that hill. Stockholm Syndrome is the best Blink 182 song. And it's not a great Blink-182 song, but it's the best Such song Such a then. good song. I could Hands listen down. to that song on repeat for days. It's only track five on the... Oh, well, it's, a technically, it's technically track five if you listen on a CD, but it's track six if you're on Spotify. It's not even halfway through the album, but I could just skip back and just listen to that one again and again each time. The drum sound. I will, I'm sure we'll get onto production. We need to get onto production because that's where I come into my... I'm going to get my geek glasses on, talk about it, but like... The production on that song and the layers of the drums with the claves and the snare drum and the tools that they found in the garage all being oh all hit on the snare so you don't really notice it. But you would notice if it was gone. Well like huge. Huge let, let's go let's go into it then. Let's let, let's tear that off and go straight into the production of it. Because it's yeah, it's utterly fantastic. I, I messaged you, Keith, through the week being like this album sounds in fucking incredible. Like yeah. sounds not. I mean, the sound like songwriting sounds. I mean, it sounds in my ears sonically wonderful. And I don't know what it was. I think it was on "Miss You." There's a point right at the end of the of the song when the guitar just pans hard left, but the but the upright bass is still there, and then I can hear the. I don't know what the name of the instrument is. It's like a maraca, but it's it, you twist. No, no percussionists out there. No, nah, no. I... Looking at the drummer, whatever it's called, where you twist it and it's like that. You can hear that. You can hear which way he's turning it. Oh, it's so well recorded and mixed. The the detail in which I've been able to read that they went into making this album reminds me to what I was saying beforehand as well about Muse Absolution. And also even Origin of Symmetry, how experimental they were in their sounds and and soundscapes, and not just playing a three-piece backline to make this the, these songs. They went into other things to to capture the sounds, almost like a soundscape for a film or whatever. And would you ever think you would compare the effort that say Muse and Blink Twenty Two would put into an album together? No, but I think Jerry Finn is responsible for that. The reason this album sounds so different, not just like musically, but tonally different, is that on all the other Blink albums, Travis would go in, he would spend a week maybe, blasting out different kind of beats, different variations of that pop-punk beat, a couple of bits of sal, you know, his, his 
his clever stuff and then he would split and they would loop the tracks they would find the bits of the drum beats they wanted and that's how they would build the album but it was all one room so if you listen to Enema of the State that is the same snare drum on every single song whereas in this album like just on violence alone the choruses of violence are recorded in the main tracking room on like Travis's main kit for the recording but the verses were recorded in a massive uh, sorry in a small bedroom so it sounds much on a smaller size kit so it sounds much tighter and then mm -hmm. it hits the chorus and without you noticing it's a bigger kit and all of a sudden the choruses sound humongous in comparison to the smaller sound and you don't notice it until now when you go listen to it you'll be like oh my god that does sound like someone's pushed all the whatever they are on a soundboard what are those little sliders sliders levels let's slide all that up but it's not it's a different kit in a different room might differently and bigger and then they went even further that he then recorded all of the drum fills for that song on an old-fashioned tape recorder at double tight and then they played it back at half time so it was the speed of the song and that made those fills and those toms sound gigantic because instead of doing your usual like two they would be like Wow. And it's those little things you don't notice that you would notice if it wasn't there. If that song was recorded in one room, it would be fine. But the fact that it wasn't, you're like, ah, oh, I could soak in this like a sponge. It's it's funny because if you had told me that and I didn't like this album, I would be critical of that information. I'd be like, oh, just stop being so wanky. Just fucking play <laughs> the kit. Or, you know, what do you mean you're... You, you, you recorded the drums on a tape recorder at double speed and then played it back. You know, I wouldn't be appreciative of that information and maybe that's just me being a bit of a dick. But, yep. like, it is really interesting to hear, like, that's... All right, laugh. It's pretty <laughs> interesting to hear that that's, that's, that's where this album came from. And it shows because I keep coming back to the fact that this one album is an absolute beacon of, of greatness. Mm -hmm. And it still didn't, but it still didn't make me go back to, to any of the other Blink-182 stuff. I didn't really care, to be honest, not to be brutal about it, but like I didn't, I was just like, oh yeah, like that's that's the dick and fart jokes, and that's fine, but this is great. So, a couple of things again, sorry. I was talking about Stockholm Syndrome, not violence. Violence, I have another fact about. The, there's a bit in that where the reverb on the vocals is because they take the sound and they played it into a shower cubicle and then recorded that playback, and that's how they got that reverb. Wow. That's, it is a good, I must admit, when we've seen them live twice now. Terrible. Oh, they're, they're, they're shocking. They're, they're awful. Sh they're shocking. <laughs> but I was going to say, did, did, did someone not say that, I'm sure you, when you, you've referred to seeing them live before and you thought they were terrible. They're, they're, all, they're, just, they're, they're just a punk band. They're a pop punk band. They can't really do it. And it goes to show like how much effort they put in in the studio, for this album at least. You can't recreate that in a three-piece band on a stage in Manchester no. or, or Glasgow. But no. I've, I did look at the set lists for it and very rarely do I see a band play songs that never got released. So Stockholm Syndrome, again... That, that song never got released off the album. It's just, it exists solely as a track on there. But every every live gig I've seen them at, they played Stockholm Syndrome. Violence, another one. Again, it's just a nothing song on an album, but they play it every time. That's a solid, that's never taken out the set list either. Violence is always there. And it goes so well live though. Even, I think it's, it's practically an opener. It's always in like the first two or three songs that they've played because it's it's just got so much like, energy and 
something about it. And when you go and see Blink-182, you don't go to see it be perfectly recreated. You, you go for the event. You go for it's the... always a good night. It's a good night. We've had some great times seeing them. And, you know, the, the memories of going to see them, I'll never forget seeing them, put it that way, because it was, it was a great time. So I saw them. They were my first real gig as well. Um, but I saw them on their final tour. So it was three gigs away. Their last ever live gig before the split was in Belfast. And I saw them in Glasgow. So it was either the second last gig or the third last gig of their European tour. And they were of their, like, before they split, actually, not just of the European tour, like, full stop. And they were awful. Um, They forgot how to play first dates at one point. They finished the song and then Travis was shouting something and they had a wee conversation. And Tom was like, oh, apparently we forgot this part of the song, so we're just going to play that bit again. And then Mark and Tom fell out on stage about something. And Tom took his microphone to the back of the stage towards the amps and played the rest of the set there. And the sound guy kept coming out, moving his mic stand back to the front of the stage. Oh, I remember what it was. They banged into each other in a song and it broke Tom's headstock on one of his guitars. So while they were sorting that out, Mark mucked about and spoke to the crowd. And I think Tom was annoyed that he was the centre of the attention. And then from then on, they were he was in a bad mood with each other. And then when they split up, I was like, yeah, that's not a surprise, actually. It was the worst gig I've ever been to. Who was supporting in that gig? What year was that? Would that be 2005? That was, it, was 2000, it? it would have been 2004. And that was My Chemical Romance. Nah, not in the European. No, oh, it better not have been because I loved My Chem. I don't remember. The first time I saw them, it was Motion City Soundtrack and Sugar Cult. Or was Sugar Cult the second time? Maybe Sugar Cult was the second time. Either way, not a great live band. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking as well, while we were while you were sort of talking about how, you know, they, they, they made all this effort in the studio to, to make this album and then as a three-piece live, they're terrible, just made me think about Muse again, where like they've actually brought on tour musicians to actually achieve the sounds they're making on the albums. So, yeah, just, I wonder what the decision process in the band was to not do that. I think it was timing. Like, having watched all the MTV documentaries there because there was a lot at the time about Blink when they went on their pop disaster tour with Green Day there's a footage of them in their record label with their manager and their manager has a cardboard cutout of Travis and they're like this is Travis Travis is also in your band you might not remember him he's the short guy who hits things with sticks and I think it's they just didn't hang out outside of the band that so they didn't mush and then their first time playing would be on stage. They just didn't rehearse. They would show up on day one of a tour. All right. Okay. And I don't know why, but they, it's it would be so stressful. I could not be in that band. You've got yeah. two very strong personalities. That must be tough work. Because, yeah, they, they they. I mean, we know if if anyone has been keeping up with with Tom and his activities, he's. Um, I mean, he they, he left the band in two thousand. 15 i want to say mm-hmm. um yep. to, pers- to pursue a career in hunting for aliens not as much he he left because he didn't have time for blink and i think he wanted it to hunt showed, for aliens. yeah well, yeah <laughs> i think he it showed that he'd fallen out of love with blink and it had become a it was he didn't want blink to be there without him but he also didn't want to do blink he wanted to do the adult stuff mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's what led him to leave 
I think the the frustrations as well is I mean from you guys are far more versed in in the band than I am but from from what I've read they also you know don't 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 kill me if I'm wrong here they also grew up you know yeah they they, yeah. they got married they had kids they had families they got into other bands they had other interests and stuff like that and you've you said it yourself lav on this album there isn't one dick fart or shit joke or or whatever you know they weren't and i, th- I think i've read it somewhere as well they, they they weren't just three idiots dicking around smoking weed watching porn and writing pop punk albums nah, I think- yeah I think that's fair. So when they recorded this album, Mark and Tom had both had kids and Travis's missus at the time was pregnant. But I'm just trying to think and do some maths here. Hold on, let me try and work out what age they are now. So, thank you for filling the void here. I'm still trying to find out this, um, this show in Glasgow it was, was Sugar Cull in the Kiniston or something like that I didn't know who the other ones were so Tom was 27 when this album came out right or was recorded so I would argue he's probably I, I imagine I think Mark's a couple of years younger they're getting to the point or maybe older but they're they're probably getting to the point where it's not as cool to talk about fucking dogs anymore but yeah, they still you know, had fun like, songs in California. I felt like California was a great return to form because there was just a bit of humour in it. It doesn't need to be stupid. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like absolute like fucking dogs in the ass or, or whatever. It it could just have just something a bit daft. And it was the, it's like the song that's just like, I want to build a pool so I can I watch can see some so, naked so dudes. dudes. And that's it. That's the end of the song. And I was like, that it is a tried, great song. It tried too hard. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that is... Do you think that's them having fun and being a return to form, or do you think that's them trying to sort of stick to some of their roots and play to to what they used to do, like the the dick and fart jokes? I think it's both, and I hold varying, depends what day you catch me on, but I have very strong opinions on Blink-182 working with Feldy. So John Feldman, famous for producing lots of, of popular bands, like the modern day rock bands coming up, like Five Seconds of Summer, it's all him. And he doesn't just produce, he gets his fingers into every aspect of being in a band and gets a writing credit on every song. And he's very good at what he does. He makes great albums, he writes great pop songs. And I think Mm -hmm. on California, they approached, I think they were struggling to write with Matt. I think Matt Skiba, I love Alkaline Trio. He was again, one of the formative characters in my teenage years but I don't think he's a great fit for a fun pop-punk band. So I think when they were writing songs about their girlfriends leaving them, he was rocking up with songs about that girl being found dead the next day. Like, that's the sort of trio to blink. You know what I mean? Like, the difference in their style. So I reckon they got John Feldman involved to try and make it cohesive. And John Feldman's gone, right, well, you guys are famous and were most successful writing fast summer pop-punk songs where you've got the windows down about how you were feeling in high school with some joke songs thrown in there. Let's go get you a Grammy. And that might be quite a cynical view on it, and tomorrow I might be like, nah, they just wanted to get back to what they wanted to do. But in the mood you've caught me today, I think I've got a cynical view, and I think John Feldman plays a massive part in why California sounds like 
old blink rather like 40 year old men playing old blink okay fair enough i i must admit i think it just because i think neighborhoods was just so serious and and this album sort of to a degree as well is just a little bit serious and i miss that because there was i know it's not cool to to like hark back to those times but to me listen to a blink 182 album I'm, i remember listening to the mark tom and travis show which is like the live album was it the, the enema strikes back or the enema, the enema strikes back and, and i was like that album is you know really memorable for being just stupid as fuck it's it's a mishmash of enema of the state and dude ranch and i think there's like maybe one song off cheshire cat and mm-hmm. it's just so it sounded like the most fun place to be yeah um and and that that was my that was my idea of Blink was that they were they were a fun band it was a bunch of bunch of dudes just having a laugh, and then they came out with this album and it was just a bit this is really serious they they're taking it well and 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 doing what they obviously want to do but just taking it a bit too seriously and taking themselves too seriously which is probably part of growing up isn't it yeah and I think well which is the anti Blink sentiment of growing up. I think and I'm excited to see your guys' faces here when I tell you this. So another thing this album did for me was this was my first interaction with The Cure. Okay, so yeah, Robert I Smith. was introduced to Robert Smith through Blink-182's All of This, which is mm-hmm. a massive... It ages me drastically. Like It shows the separation, even if it's only a few years here, of where we are. Not, not really, because... No? My, well, I, I'm I am familiar with The Cure. I don't particularly know their music. They weren't. I wasn't knowingly listening to The Cure when I was younger. Right. But I am familiar with Robert Smith for another reason. And South Park. You might know South Park. Yeah. The <laughs> South Park episode where Barbara Streisand turns into Mecca Streisand. That's the only reason that I'm Robert Smith of The Cure. Like <laughs> I didn't know who The Cure were, but I know who Robert Smith from The Cure was. Yes, yeah, I didn't know that. Barbara Streisand turned into Mecca Streisand again. Oh no, I'm going to have to go and do this. Like that's how I knew Robert Smith. So when even as I listened to that song, I'm so just like Mecca Streisand. See, my brother was a big Cure fan when I was younger. I think he still is. Like, he went to see them a few years ago. But, like, so I didn't know anything about them. I had never, because I obviously hate everything that my siblings like. Like, I think that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was that massive introduction. And I think it's an interesting one because they were so nervous to approach. Like, the Cure is Mark's favourite band. And they were so nervous to approach. When the label said to them and Jerry Finn were like, let's get a collab on this album. Let's get someone that you wouldn't expect. Who would be your dream? And Tom and Mark both said Robert Smith. And they were petrified at contacting him in case he came back being like, absolutely not. You, your last album was a song about fucking dogs. I'm not putting my name anywhere near this. But they sent him a couple of the tracks and he came back being like, it doesn't matter who you are. Or something like this. Like I don't know if it was this philosophical, but it was like, it doesn't matter who you are or who you were. It matters who you are now. I really like the music you sent me. Like it would be a pleasure. And he recorded that track and it is one of the better tracks on the album. It's a great track, but... There's always a but. Um, I, I do love the song, and I've, as, I've, I've, as I've gone on a few times now, I love this album. If I had one comment mm-hmm. about the album, and all of this falls into it, as well as all of this obvious down, easy target, they can be a little maybe derivative and or repetitive yes i think that's a style thing 
Probably. Absolutely probably. As great as the songs are, if I had to pick one thing, it's like, well, do you know what? In in all of this, right, yeah, you've got Robert Smith on it, but you kind of have one riff and you repeat it for three and a half minutes. And it's the same riff from Easy Target, but slower. Yeah. And it literally yeah. is, but I think it that's is. a style choice so that it faded in. Because it blends in. It blends in so well. Because I, I love that, just the slide. There's no strum. It's that... Love it. Wait, wait, love we it. Get the three of us going for it. <laughs> oh, great. We're all out of time. But, uh, <laughs> so I love that that song then fades, like, easy target fades. So that's, I would call that the latter, maybe, like, act three of the album. Oh, yes. That's a good way to look at it. After all, after always... I think that it, I mean, you've got the fall interlude that, that acts as sort of a clear intent of like, it's going to change Water here. Song. And fall interlude is just, it's just a hip hop song in the middle of a Water song. punk album. Um, <laughs> but the, the, yeah, that, that second half after always, it totally just changes tempo and it just eases you out. And it does really like nicely. Easy target slows down at the end. And that same guitar riff turns into just that one finger on the Louis string sliding up that riff and then all of a sudden the acoustic guitar comes in and takes over doing it and then that song fades out into like a, a, a modulation is that the word for it sound guys like when it does a where's the sound guy are you a sound guy love Lav's a bit soundy but anyway so it does that weird no, no modulation of that chord and then that iconic to teenage keyer tom sound of here's your letter and it starts like that's Tom's tunes perfectly and then here's your letter comes out of nowhere plays that whole song and again fades out into I'm lost without you which is the same chords from easy target and all of this played slightly differently again in a middle of the road tempo and that whole last act of that album flows impeccably like god bless Jerry Finn I have I owe him so much for that last half of that album yeah, no, I mean, it, it is beautiful and you can see like it's it's maybe me being, for lack of a better word, a concept piece mm-hmm. and the, it's connected in, in those kind of ways. But I just found even with tracks like Obvious and Down as well, like there just sort of is like the one hook that does sort of get repeated a lot. Repeated beautifully and brilliantly and changed and slowed down, sped up, you know, things added to it, whatever. But that's that's the one thing I can maybe speak of from the album is, yeah, there, there there are points where you were like, right, you guys have got a really good thing here, and I'm really glad it works for you, but it could have gone the other way, maybe. I feel like the the interlude at the end of Violence, it's just that, that I'm with the love with letter Joanne from Wally. his granddad. So that's Mark's granddad wrote it's that. Just a l- or his granny wrote a it little too. bit long. No, shut um, up. The person who did the voice is Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer's ex wife. Wow. Yeah, she so she's an English actress. She was in like three episodes of Coronation Street. She, I, I think the that bit is just a tiny bit long, tiny bit long, and that is because you had violence, which is a really upbeat song, and then it, you get the wind taken out of you with this beautiful piano and the, the love letter, and then you get Stockholm Syndrome, which just was, takes me away every weird. time. I and I said this to one of you this week. I can't remember which one of it was. Down, I have. I am sure, and this is going to fly in the face of everything we've said about this album being totally standalone. I thought Down was on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. It wasn't. It was on this one. 
I know it wasn't. <laughs> Clearly, it's not. It's obvious it's not. But I, I think from a from sonically, it is the closest that they came to take off your pants and jacket was in down because it would. F- I think it would fit roughly somewhere in, in there from if memory serves. I, yeah. I don't know where, but I, I just think it's got the same sort of signatures and things that that they used and especially with it with it getting released so it was clearly played quite a lot on the music channels and nightclubs and things so there's probably that that going for it as well and maybe i just confused the two but maybe it's because i like that song and i didn't like didn't like this album until basically this week (laughs) it was it was going back to take off your pants and jacket actually that i realized Stay Together for the Kids was on that album. I, I had no idea. So here's another thing I've not really stated as well for Blink-22. I've, I've sort of said uh, uh, I have liked previous singles and I love this album and blah, blah, blah. Blink-22 are a greatest hits band for me. Oh, they're a legacy band now, for sure. Well, it's, it's, it's not even that they're a legacy, because they're, they're no, there's no real legacy there for me, to be fair. It's, it's sort of the advent of Spotify... And it was access to something like your a greatest hits. Like I'm looking at the greatest hits now. This is how I know Adam Song or Man Overboard. Like I don't I don't know those al- those songs from the albums because I never listened to the albums. But I have listened to the greatest hits repeatedly, and I think that's why I'm also probably more comfortable with. Like to me, Down is always an untitled album track. It's there's no there's no similarity there between me and any other albums. The uh, on the note of the greatest hits, so the lead single from the greatest hits album, which was released posthumously. That's I don't know, I don't think I've ever said that word out loud. Posthumously. Like, posthumously is that how you say it? They're not. Well, after after they the band up. had broken up, we'll ed- edit that bit. After the band had broken up, the we won't uh, edit it, okay. <laughs> the greatest hits album was brought out, <laughs> and the lead single from that was Not Now, which was the bonus track on the Untitled album CD, and it is. An exceptional song. So I'm going to proper geek out here. It's got this weird Angels and Airways type electronic modulation, whatever it's called, noise. And then the guitars and drums all kick in at the same time. And it's a really cool, like, tom bass drum fill. And then eventually it goes into like a dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it. And it goes into an old school blink, like three big chords, but they're all minor, so you know it's off this album. And the song itself's about this guy dying and he mm-hmm. knows his wife. Like, it's an old man dying and his wife's there and he knows that his wife's watching him die and he's, like, trying to bring her along with him and it's just, what a massive song and I have no idea why it was a bonus track. I'm glad it became a single and it got its moment in the sun. And they had a video for it which was loads of, because obviously they'd broken up, they weren't getting in the same room. The video for it was loads of clips of Blink over the years, like live shows and backstage footage. And I remember, and this sounds really gimpy, but it came out maybe a year after they'd broken up, maybe just over a year. And I remember it watching came the out, video. I think 2006. Yeah. Oh, I would have said it was, I would have argued that single was earlier than that, but. 2005, sorry. My Blink, do not challenge my Blink knowledge, apparently. <laughs> I only remember that because I remember being 15 when this happened. And yeah, that video moved me. Like, I was so emotional about it because I just got into Blink. They absorbed my life. I shaved a mohawk in after I saw the feel on this video, got rid of the fringe from the book I used to steal from my brother. And all of a sudden, Blink were gone. Yeah. And there was a big segregation in my school. That's probably the wrong word. That's probably a bit too strong. But like, between the punk kids, 
you were either a Green Day or a Blink fan, you could not be both. And I, as a massive Blink fan, was very heavily outnumbered because American Idiot came out in 2004. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. get on that train. Like, I, it didn't float me at all. Untitled floated me. And then all of a sudden, Blink broke up and all those playground discussions became a, well, your band's not even around anymore. I'm just curious as to how big your school was that the punk kids were big enough to have a divide between Blink and their Green yeah. Day. It was like five. It was like five. I know you're, yeah, what, what we're talking about here is three kids were like, it was it was Kier versus two others. It was me and one other kid versus about four to five other. We didn't have a big punk scene in my year. There was like seven of us maximum. Eight. Yeah. That math before didn't add up. But I was really sad. And then I watched Eurythra Chronicles, the DVDs that Blink did. I watched one of them a few years ago, just before California came out, when I was feeling particularly sad. And there's a bit at the end of the second one where Tom's talking about how life isn't the same if he doesn't speak to Mark every day. They are best friends, and Travis is their best friend, and this band is the best thing that's happened to them, and that life wouldn't be the same if he didn't talk to Mark every day, like... If you don't speak to Mark, it's a bad day and things like that. And I remember watching that, knowing what had gone down and being like, wow, yeah. what, ha- what happened? I know they're pals now, like they talk. Mark was on his podcast, or Tom, sorry, was on Mark's podcast recently. And there's no bad blood anymore. But it was really sad to watch something that I love just burnt to the ground so soon after I fell in love with it. I think I've gone on a tangent yeah. from this album to just an adoration of Blink-8. No, absolutely. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to just understand, fine. like... Yeah, like I totally understand where you're coming from and if, if I had any sort of similar situations where like I did find a band and you know they, they weren't around anymore nothing immediately comes to mind so shit reference sorry but <laughs> you're you're, uh, you tr- you you're, on, you're on your own bud sorry your, your, your heart can be broken by yourself but no like I, I, I think I know where you're coming from for some reason I'm just remembering um, Chester Bennington passing away like completely different. Blink One Eight Two could come back tomorrow. Like Lincoln Park are never coming back because because Chester's, Chester's gone. gone. And uh, and and you know even sadder when when you consider how he took his own life. I know. So yeah, we all get attached to these guys. We'll never meet them. We'll never know them. But you know the music obviously means something. And, and... it's it's is deep. Yeah, I see. I think I think when we, when we talk about like nostalgia, so obviously with Kia, this was an album that he took to to his attic to play on the drums on repeat for five years. Um, to me, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which would have been when I was, um, it came out in June 2001, so I would have been 15 at the time, was absolutely, that was my sum, That was my summer of, 20, of 2001. That was, there wasn't a, a conversation that could go by, go by without mentioning rock show and meeting people and meeting new friends and, and things, listening to this album. So, Really, that's why this one probably holds a, a really infallible place in my heart. And when Untitled then comes out, it just wasn't the same. One thing that is a little interesting factoid that I've got about Enema of the State is the cover. So on on the cover, her hat, if you can find one where she's got a proper red yeah. cross. It's the white cross on the red That's the original. It's the Red Cross logo. It's a it's it's a Red Cross logo. So the Red Cross were like, we don't want her displaying that logo. So if you go on Spotify and look at Enema of the State, she doesn't have it on. But on the Wikipedia page, it the has original. the original 
the original on there and I was like, oh, that's interesting because they, they asked her to take they asked them to take that off. But the, uh, if the un- you find that CD, it is worth a ton of money. I bet, I bet. The untitled though was the introduction of the the blink smiley the face. Art. Yeah, and that and it, that is now that is their logo. So again, with the whole untitled statement of intent, they created a, an actual image for what was it? Famous stars and yep. straps. That they, they 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 were the ones that would just push these logos and this imagery. That badge of honor everywhere. was everywhere, and it was seen on everyone, which is what they call the F for famous. And I think you're right. I think Travis came in and was just like, "We need an icon," and they got this. But you're saying it's their logo now. It's actually not. When they reformed in two thousand and nine, I want to say when they came back to visit an eight, there is an extra arrow on the. So I think there's four or five on the Untitled album and there's an extra one yep. from unti- from Neighbourhoods onwards, the smiley face as an extra arrow. Yeah, there's five on Untitled. So there must be six on Neighbourhoods onwards. Well, Neighbourhoods, on, neighborhoods the album cover for Neighbourhoods is like um, a city it's block. It's city with Blink-182 on it, but... I'm trying to find it, it. Was it just included in the artwork somewhere? It wasn't actually on the physical front cover. No, it's, it's spray-painted on one of the walls on the front cover somewhere. All right, right, okay, here we go. There's loads of little references on the Neighbourhoods album for, like, their kids. Enhance. Yeah. But, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't know what their logic was behind that, but it has an extra arrow now after the reformation. This is the thing as well. I couldn't tell you that this album existed in Neighbourhoods. I, I don't know any of the songs off of it. I don't know when it was released. Neighbourhoods. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I know nothing about this album. So Neighbourhoods was their, like I say, it was the one that they recorded when they came back. But the lead single off that was called Up All Night. And the guitar riff from Up All Night is seen being played in the writing for Untitled. So there's like a behind the music where they had, you know, obviously footage and videos of them recording this album in the rented house that they got kicked out of. And you can see Tom playing Mm -hmm. that riff to Travis and them trying to work out a groove for it. And I think it's interesting that that's then the lead single they came back with was a it wasn't like an a new unfinished song, song from a from previous it sessions was like an unfinished part from a successful yeah. era, and it's a bop. I love that song. I I remember the night it came out because I knew they were that it was obviously it had been announced they were coming back and they announced the single was coming out and I'm sure I'd been to see a Harry Potter film at like a midnight screening so it was like three in the morning that or maybe four god knows how long those films are and i got in my car to drive home and i put it on and i remember just feeling elated at hearing mark and tom's voice on the same record again yeah it's a good i mean it's it's not it's far from unlistenable everything they've made is completely listenable even the most recent album nine i had that on earlier today and it's just it's just there it's total background music it's ready for the tiktok generation to just do whatever they want with and take it to bits it's it's but it's not offensive and it's not bad by any means. It's just meh. Neighborhoods. I've not finished. It. Neighborhoods is sort sort of like an attempt to come back, but there's there's clear issues in in that, and that's where the dogs eating dogs EP felt a bit raw. It felt really good because it it was like oh if they could do this in a full length album that this could be them back, but clearly clearly it wasn't enough. No, I think where Neighbourhoods falls down for me is probably quite visible into what makes Untitled so great for me 
is the lack of production. So because it wasn't in the same room and it was self-produced, and I think that's a terrible idea to self-produce an album, you need a, an outside opinion to be like, nah, boys, this is not good. Whereas if you're just all fighting each other, I think it loses the extra spark. It, too many cooks. It's got like three mixes on this album. Yeah. Like I think I think Blink One Eight Two just died for me, and I might never listen I... to them again because of the headline: Little Wayne and Blink One Eight Two announce tour. It was awful. Little Wayne dropped off the tour because he was getting booed. He tweeted being like, "I'm not used to playing to crowds this small. Like it was an actual drama." I'm sure Neck Deep opened. <laughs> Neck Deep, Lil Wayne. I mean, obviously with, with Mark on the recovery, Tom hunting for extraterrestrial life, that leaves Travis, who is now responsible for probably the most important pop-punk album in the last 10 years getting released. That's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to say, Tom's hunting aliens, Travis is pumping a Kardashian. <laughs> that, yeah, there's that too. But no, he's, he's involved <laughs> with... Um, Mr. Gun Kelly. Are we really discussing Machine Gun Kelly in the same conversation as Blink One Eight Two? I have to bring it up. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna be part of this conversation because I don't give a fuck. It's a good album, Kelly. Lav Lav seems Lav seems to love him. Hey, steady. I have I have I have no horse in this race. It is a good album. It's important because it's a resurgence of pop punk. It's It's bringing pop punk to the kids again. Yeah, so if you are a 13-year-old kid like Kia was, it could well be that Tickets to Your Downfall could be the first time you ever hear pop punk. But does that not kill you? That It absolutely murders me. It, it makes me so sad that that's going to be them. No one, and, and, and this is what really pisses me off about Machine Gun Kelly. I'm sorry, I'm on now. <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> this is what really grinds my gears about him is that he talks like he invented it. I know. And that's his issue. I think that's why a lot of other bands don't like what Machine Gun Kelly's doing, even though it's good for their genre, is because he didn't pay his dues. He doesn't respect the elders. That's But I think the issue me and you have, I'm speaking for you, so you're allowed to tell me that I'm wrong here. Carry on. Is that, like, our parents listened to similar music growing up. So when I was like, Dad, listen to this song, and we'd play him a Blink song, He'd be like, oh, it's not quo, or oh, that guitar does not, it's not Clapton, is it? And I'd be like, that stuff's bullshit, Dad. This is real music. <laughs> and now I'm at the age that when I see kids walking around listening to Machine Gun Kelly or listening or t- tweeting about it or whatever, and I'm like... Keith's got something. Listen. Listen to Blink. Don't listen to Machine Gun Kelly. That's not real music. He is a good album. And I've just become my dad, but with pop punk band rather than blues rock band. Well... That's what I was going to say. Here, you are the dad. You say you've come of age. You are the dad age. Lav literally is a fucking dad, you know? I know. I can't wait for the day that you're like, no, listen to this album. Don't need to. I'm going to bring them up proper. Yeah, we've, we've all seen Lav's kids yeah. dancing to Jimmy World and, and what have you. So, no, that's and, and that, that's that's it. You know, we are all 30-somethings now. We are all the parents. And you've, you're right to say that if the kids are listening to Machine Gun Kelly then that's their Blink-182. That's, you know, that's fair enough. And we're talking about pop-punk, but, you know, what did the punks think? You know, if you're a Sex Pistols fan and your kids started listening to, to, to Blink-182 or Green Day, you probably wanted to drown them. Maybe a bit harsh. But I think but it's true. That, that, 
Exactly, exactly. So that's just that's just the, the circle of life that we're in here. They're the Simbas, we're the Mufasas, and the dark area over there is Machine Gun Kelly. Okay. I, I think that's fair, mate. I think if we went to a rancid show in 2000, or 97 probably, and we're buzzing about Enema the State, mm-hmm. these guys with Mohawks would have been like, nah, fuck that pop punk boy band bullshit. And I'm not hating on rancid fans, I love rancid, but you know what I mean? Like They are a legitimate punk band. Same with no sure. FX, legitimate punk. Yeah, is it? And then all of a sudden, Tom DeLonge's on MTV dancing like he's in Backstreet Boys, and they're trying to say that they're punk. And I think that yeah. is punk. I think the most. No, they're, they're trying to say, they're trying to say that they are pop. Punk. Yeah, but I think I think there's something very punk about it. No, right. So we're just talking about how we first heard them. The first time I ever heard Blink One Eight Two, all the small things had got to number sixteen in the top forty charts. Okay. I heard it on the radio, listening to the chart show every Sunday that I did. That's how I heard Blink-182. I didn't find them online. I didn't see them on MTV2 or Kerrang! or anything like that. This was legitimately found them listening to the charts in the UK. Like, I don't think there's any other band I could give that a tribute to. Wow. they They are pop. They are pop. It, there's no, there's absolutely no denying it. Of course not. But that's, I think that's probably what's sort of interesting about them is that if you look at other punk bands from thirty years prior, they were in the charts. And it's, yeah. just, it's just what is what is pop. Pop is always changing. So, I think a massive thing about Blink and one of the reasons they probably are considered like the godfathers of the genre and they're going to be one of those big generational bands that we talk about is that they conquered pop. They were on pop radio stations as a pop-punk band. They were on rock radio stations as a punk band. They were on punk bells. They played punk shows. And this album got them into like the rock scene. And I think they have covered off a lot of genres and talked it. That And I mean, even now, they're played on classical rock radio stations. I had classic rock radio on in the car a couple of years ago and they played What's My Age Again. And I swear to God, I almost died there and then. Right. <laughs> I swear my first ever trip to a hard rock cafe, I must have been 17 and it had What's My Age Again playing the video for that. I used to come onto it. And I was like, that's bonkers. Like, it's, yeah. it's you've just gone through like Deep Purple, Clapton and Led Zeppelin videos. And then there's a Blink-182 video. And that was in 2001 that was happening. So it's just bananas that they've they've kept that, they've held that and always been just the peak of, of pop for them. Yeah. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket went to the US Billboard 200 number number one yep. and it went to number four in the UK albums chart. Number four in the Scottish albums chart. Number four in the Scottish chart, yeah. T- t- tip of the hat to the Scottish charts. So number four in the UK and number one in the US. They had a number one US album. They've had two now. So... Everyone and their Doug, that is our age, knows to some extent Blink-182. Where did they come for Untitled? Bringing it back to the album number three in the US, that is. Telling you, it's that lead single. If feeling this wasn't shite, more people would have bought it. This is a great single, Chris. We're not getting into this again. I agree with you. And who thought we'd ever say that? Yeah, I know. And not me. I was so surprised. This album is is a huge part of my life like i love it i still have a t-shirt with that album title on it the album front print 
that I got at my first ever gig in 2004 and it didn't fit me now and it still it fits me now it didn't fit me then and like I will never throw that t-shirt out like it this album categorically changed the course of my life like I would not have got as into music as I did and I wouldn't have such strong taste like it led me into emo which became what I like that's the that's the genre if you ask me to listen to one genre forever i would call it emo this was this was the gateway emotional rock yeah yeah, this it was the gateway drug to the music that i now listen to and a lot of my friends i got through music like lav me and your friendship is mostly based on music because we disagree on pretty much everything else (laughs) Like, well, I love no effects, and I can't believe that you were able to go and see them a few weeks ago, and you no chose not to. No effect, interest in no effects. Because no effects, I would not know about no effects if it wasn't for Blink One Eight Two. You know what I did instead of go to see no effects? I went and had to sit down because my legs were tired. <laughs> oh, that's it. We have to stop there. We can't. <laughs> that can't be the ending. That can't be what you end. <laughs> Who are you actually going to see? Uh, where was it slam dunk it was at a festival and the headliners were Don Broco and No Effects right. and I wasn't going to see Don Broco and I've got no interest in No Effects so I saw a trio and then I went for a sit down on the beanbags and the VIP bit that, no that's awesome and, and, 150 and I, quid well spent I, th- I think it's time I think it's time to, to, to call it there would, would you yeah. agree agreed I agree I think, we, yeah. I think we've we've covered quite a lot of ground on this episode uh, a lot more a lot more than I thought we would and I'm glad we could can surprise can we do two part I've still got a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll. I mean, it was supposed to be about the untitled album. I think we have discussed a lot about the band, but if we've got more to come back to in Blink Twenty Two, or another seemingly pop punk emo album, we'll get you back in. Yeah, brilliant. I would love it. Thank you for having me on. It's been good fun. I love geeking out about music. Like I don't have that place to vent in my life. Kirsty doesn't care like my partner about pop punk or punk music in general. So massive thank you for letting me come on here and just pour out my 14 year old heart of like why i think this is the best album of all time although i've done my best until one hour 20 odd minutes in until i said the phrase this is the best album of all time um i appreciate you having me on and let me talk shit about one of my favorite albums very welcome no man it's been great Th- thanks very much for bringing it and obviously thanks very much for for, for stepping in short notice we were of course supposed to have raging this machine and that will be next week but no this this has been a great great chat and and i've i've only had one thing to say about the album and that's how much i loved it and, and i've really loved going back to the whole thing and i realized as well when I, I sort of referenced that they were a greatest hits band for me i've only listened to the greatest hits recently i can't remember the last time i actually went back and listened to the full length of the album so to get all the tracks in has been has been awesome and i have looked i've been looking forward to, to putting this on for the second third fourth time it's been great totally opened my eyes to it as well like i you know, I've said it before. This was I had no nostalgia for this. Going back to it has been truly eye-opening, and I finally feel as a thirty-five-year-old I can fully appreciate it. It's a great album. It is a it great is. album. So on that note, we're doing Rage Against Machine next week. We'll have another guest on next week. Yes. Is there anything else we need to cover, or are you going to take us home live? Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We have been alive or just blethering. Please join us on our socials at AOGB Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I have been Chris Lavender. We have been joined by our special guest, Keith Jamison, speaking about Blink-182. Keith, what are we doing next week? We're doing Rage Against Machine Live. Again, we're going to try that this time. We're, we're we? going to, hopefully the, the scheduling gods have realigned and we're going to do some, we're going to do some ratums.
going to make it happen. Take the power back. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, but from going from listening to Rage Against the Machine nonstop for basically seven days <laughs> to listening to Blink-182 nonstop for the last four days. Treat, parkour! An actual yeah, treat. Parkour! It, parkour. It, was, it was a real journey. It was a real 180. Uh, I've still got whiplash, but it was great. I could only name you one Rage Against the Machine song, guys. I think I only know that one song. You need to listen to the episode and you'll learn it all. Okay. I've just got a funky beat to my head. Okay. Are we done? I think we're I done. I think we're done, guys. You're going to take us home, Keith? You've just taken us home. Have I taken us home? Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Good night. <laughs>